this is the place for everything pregnancy, birth, and babies. I'm Tibby Goodman, midwife, doula, mommy, and safta. And today I'm joined by Devorah Kerr. Hi, Devorah. Hi, hello, Tibby. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Devorah Kerr runs an integrative wellness clinic and is a reflexologist, a bereavement, bereavement counselor and an associate, associate in logotherapy. Apparently I'm having a hard time speaking today, but we'll work through this. She's passionate about helping people through her illnesses, challenges, and struggles in life to well-being of their mind, body, and soul. Her forte is to help people find meaning by asking what now instead of why me. She has lectured throughout Israel, South Africa, and New York. Now, we spoke for just a couple minutes before the recording, and I had to stop Devora from talking because her story was so fascinating and so interesting that I said, stop, <laughs> we have to have recorded, we have to start again. So please tell us, Devora, what you do and your journey, how you got into the things that you do. Even start from beforehand, because you, you mentioned that you started as a reflexologist, but I'd like to know, how did you even get into reflexology? And then... Uh-huh. Okay, so there's no coincidence around that. Um, I'm very creative and I had my own business in interior design for many, many years in the corporate corporate industry. And then my father was diagnosed with cancer and um, I was 25 years old and um, absolutely devastated. And um, while he was sick, I started reading books on health and healing and and the, um, the, what, what the patient can do to heal himself and that we don't just hand over and give everything to doctors that what we can do and the more I read and specifically from books from uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel Love Medicine and Miracles the more it spoke to me about an ability that I have to want to help people on this journey and um, after my father died uh, 21 years ago um, I was still in in my industry and eventually I couldn't uh, deny the strong pull of mine to want to work with people. And so I, uh, I actually kind of feel like it, it was uh, his illness brought this gift out in me that I wouldn't have known about had he not become ill. And um, through my own grief work for, on myself, I was able to you know, come to that connection. And uh, then I went to study reflexology and um, coming from a creative background, it was like all this anatomy and physiology and pharmacology, and it was all very um, new to me, all this, this kind of work. And, um, and I loved in the beginning just working with people and helping them feel good in their bodies. But um, as I was saying to Sebi, what, what became very difficult for me was the why me questions when um, infertility patients would come to me and yes, we can work on your hormone levels and we can work on your blood supply to your uterus and we can work to, to get everything to the levels that they need to be at. But when these ladies were crying and saying to me, why can't I have a baby? I couldn't, I couldn't answer them and I couldn't help them with their, their struggle and their difficulty around those questions. Um, or, or why um, if there was God forbid problems with a pregnancy or or after, after a pregnancy or a failed pregnancy, um, how to hold their hands through, through those situations. Or cancer patients who would ask me, why do I have to be sick? And I couldn't answer these questions. They were so frustrating um, for me. So um, I, uh, at the same time, I'd actually gone on a, a trip to Poland um, and, and found it to be hugely life transformative 
in, um, in, in seeing that actually the, the people who, the individual stories of people who had such courage to give their children away or hide their children or, or what they would do, I, I, I gleaned such courage from the people and the devastating stories there that, that I was then um, led to this book by Dr. Viktor Frankl called uh, Man's Search for Meaning. I he was a, a highly recommended, very highly, highly recommended book. He was a doctor um, in, in, in Austria. He was a top doctor and um, um, highly respected by, um, you know, the community. And um, he was Jewish and he thought he'd be protected because of his, uh, his status in the hospital and his work, you know, contribution, but he wasn't. And um, he was a, a, a neurologist and a psychiatrist. And his um, main uh, study was on um, human behavior in times of crisis. What do people do when they are um, having crisis in their life and how do they overcome it? And um, he had his like unpublished manuscript, which um, he had sewn into the lining of his coat that he took in with him to the camps. And when he got there, he begged the the guard to, to let him keep it. He said, these papers mean nothing to you, but really they're my life's work. And, um, and the guard said, they'll be here when you come out. And uh, they weren't. And um, that day, like those first 24 hours, was a huge, huge decision for him of what to do, um, what to do in terms of uh, attitude and how to move forward in this very tragic and difficult and um, crazy situation, horrendous nightmare that he found himself in. And um, it all turned around for him when he was given um, his first so-called meal where um, it was dished up for him in a plate. It looked like, in a bowl, it looked like soup, this watered down um, soup with um, a fish head floating in the bowl. And his first reaction was, don't they know who I am? Like, who, do I, who can I speak to about this? Like, surely they will give me even a spoon to eat with. And he was so disgusted at the situation and he stopped himself before he did anything. And he thought, hold on a sec, he's already seen what's happened to people who have this attitude of don't they know who I am. And he didn't want to go that route because that didn't end well. And then he decided to take a different approach by looking at this bowl of food as something nutritious. There's protein, there's liquid, there's bits of vegetable, and um, this is something that could feed not only his body but also his soul. And that was the way he entered into the camps. And then what he found is that um, before him lay a human experiment of which he was part of that would never ever be repeated in history again. Everybody was the same. Nobody had furniture, nobody had money, nobody had clothes, nobody had hair, nobody had names, nobody had belongings, nobody had food, and everybody was exactly the same. So how come some were doing better than others? How come one person could walk around and see some miskin feeling so desperate and starving and say, here, you take half my piece of bread, you need it more than me. And then that person would still wake up the next day. So this is what he was studying for the four years that he was in the camps. And um, it is to find within us that, that, that place of us, and we all have it, to be able to rise above difficulty and challenge. And um, when I learned about this, I was very drawn to, to studying it. And I went to study it um, at the University in Pretoria in South Africa. And, um, and at the end of the course, my, my husband and I decided we're going to make Aliyah to come and live in Israel. Big dream for me, massive, massive dream. And, um, 
and I went to speak to the teacher at, at the university and said to her, listen, um, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to continue with the course and um, I'm going to live in Israel. And the teacher was such a marvelous old lady with a strong um, um, Afrikaans accent and blonde hair and um, very non-Jewish. And she said to me, that's marvelous news, Devorah. I live in Modi Inn. And I'm like, what? She said, yes, I'm a Jewess. I live in Modi Inn. I'm, Dr. Frankel was my teacher. And because of him, I converted to Judaism. So she says, as soon as you arrive in Israel, you'll come and learn with me. I have a small group of English students that I teach. And um, literally from the moment I touched down, uh, I started um, every um, second week going to these little private meetings and groups of, of meeting wonderful, wonderful people in, um, in, in Israel who are, were all getting involved in the, um, in the community of logotherapy. And it was very, um, very quiet. Still, people weren't really okay or knew much about logotherapy back then. And, um, and over the years, I've just built up, done more of the levels, and it's all run through the um, institute, the Logotherapy Victor Frankl Institute in Vienna. And um, I was even privileged one year to speak at the first um, um, international conference that was held in Haifa. Um, I spoke um, about how reflexology and logotherapy combined can bring one to healing. When we bring the body and the soul together, the, 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 um, the depth of the soul is, we can't separate. Body and soul cannot be separated. So one can't just do reflexology because there's a whole person with a life experience of pain and suffering that comes into that body. When you can understand that, then you're offering a different kind of a treatment. So this is what I saw um, progressing as I learned more and more. And um, that conference was a phenomenal um, experience and privilege to be able to be one of the presenters there. And um, in my quest for wanting to learn more and know more and serve people um, better. Interrupt you just yeah. a moment because this is so fascinating. But before we continue, I want to go back to, you had just said that you can't just do reflexology. Now, I'm going to take issue with that because I do know reflexologists. We actually had an amazing reflexologist on this show. And I have some friends who I have a friend who's learning reflexology. And so many people are healed just by reflexology. So if, that, yeah. if that's what a person has in their area, it seems like there are many conditions that may be just a physical condition or maybe maybe the emotional side comes through. I mean, certainly reflexology alone does help many people. Right. Reflexology is a wonderful, wonderful tool to have. Um, for me, and I use it, I do use it often. People, I have diabetics who come to me. I have uh, people with neck ache and people with superficial things. It's wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. For, and even I work with cancer patients and infertility patients. I use reflexology. But for me, it has evolved into something deeper where there is emotional pain attached it gets so many deeper and more rewarding results when you can actually address what's going on and um, it was this actually in the book of dr bernie siegel that that got me um to to move into this this field where he says that illness comes to an address okay an address is the person and he says once that address changes the illness is in the wrong place so what he's encouraging his cancer patients to do is actually look at your life 
senior life what um what what needs to change when you make those changes then the illness might be in the wrong place so this is how i love to work with people on a deeper level i'm seeing what it is so this doctor is is not reflexology and not logotherapy no he was actually oncologist he's not so okay so you started off with reflexology yeah you've been that with logotherapy and now yeah. are we on the third the third level of this with this doctor okay bernie, what did you say bernie dr bernie siegel he's the one who initially inspired me when my father was sick to to look at what can one do to be an active participant in their own healing. And I never, in their own healing journeys, I never ever discourage people to go to doctors. It's not like, oh, come to me and you won't need a doctor. Of course we need doctors. I use doctors myself. But I always empower people to be an integral part of their healing journey, that they have a say in, and, and they have work that they can do. It's, so it's not just about let me have my infertility treatments and let me get my chemotherapy, that there is a role for the, the, um, the patient that he can plan his own healing journey. And it is this that I love to empower people to. I like to, to think of on. doctors as like, if you open your, your cabinet, right? And you have flour and sugar and tea and coffee. You have, you have different tools for different tasks. You have sugar and you have, mm -hmm. sugar, right? They don't do the same thing. They're equally great. They're wonderful tools to have in your, in your pantry to cook a delicious meal, right? So to know what the doctor can do for you, but to know what you can do for yourself. Absolutely. So integral. For you, right? It just gives you one more tool in your, in your healing basket. Right. And an example on this is, is sometimes I, I work with um, infertility patients who, who actually become so desperate to have a baby that they lose all identity, that they, they don't identify themselves anymore as daughter or sister or friend or wife. All they feel is the lack of what's not there and what isn't present in their life. And so it's an opportunity. Yes, while we're using reflexology to get your body working at the most optimum place and to be able to receive the infertility treatments that you're receiving, there's a lot to do behind the scenes on um, nurturing a beautiful relationship that might already be there with a husband or your roles as sister-in-law who can't, now you can't attend the breasts of your nephew because it's too painful for you, but to actually see things from a different perspective and how all of these things are part of the bigger picture. That's so, so for, as, a mid, as a midwife, I've definitely seen this. I've learned about it when I was in midwifery school, that sometimes our own hormones from that desperation to become pregnant um, are affecting the chemical balance in our body just on a physiological level and preventing the pregnancy just because, as you said, the, the intent, it's so intense, we're so stressed out over it. I right. had a relative who was, was going through fertility treatments many, many years ago. So before we had the treatments we had today, I'm not sure what fertility treatments were. I mean, her son is, is 35 or something like that, right? So, um, so I skipped to the end, she has a son. But, but she was told that she was infertile or her husband was infertile or both of them, I don't know. Anyways, uh, the doctor had said to her, there's no treatment, nothing's going to help. I want you to stop looking and just go on vacation, get a life and plan what are you going to do with your life because you will never have children. And she came back one month later pregnant. Wow. And she, yeah. 
he said to the doctor, you were wrong. He said, I wasn't wrong. I'll show you the data. You're not supposed to be able to get pregnant, but I was hoping that if we just get you calm enough, that zero mm -hmm. point whatever chance would work. Right. And she has a beautiful right. son, grandchildren. She, she wasn't able to have any more children, I guess, after she knew the secret. <laughs> I don't know. But um, yeah, a lot to that. And the truth is, like, every everything that does come into our lives is here to give us some kind of message or learning. And even the difficulties that we have experienced previously in our past have just equipped us to how to deal with what we are going through today. So I help people also to tap into the skills and the um, abilities that they already have. Everyone has gotten over difficulty and struggle in the past. And once we can tap into those places, then we're better equipped to deal with what we're going through today. Absolutely. So in your journey, reflexology, logotherapy, did you stop there? Have you added? No. <laughs> and I'm never going to stop. There's so much out there that, that one can learn. Um, I then did, um, uh, there's an, an organization here in Israel called Nechama, and um, it is for bereavement counseling for any type of uh, loss. It could be loss of uh, work, divorce, aliyah, death. It's, it includes everything. And um, I did a two and a half year course with that, which was very, very meaningful. And now I, I, I see people privately for that. And I also work as a volunteer for this organization, seeing people um, after bereavement. So for grief or trauma. Into the show notes. Nechama, you said it's called? Nechama, yes. They have a website. People can look them up. Um, and um, it, it offers uh, bereavement counseling at very cheap rates for people who need it. I didn't know that existed. Wow. Yeah, so it's fun. a beautiful, beautiful organization of well-trained, uh, very well-trained people who come in very lovingly to hold your hand through your challenge, your difficulty. Wow. All right. Yeah. So reflexology, logotherapy, bereavement counseling. Okay. Okay. So the, the last thing which I'm still busy with because I'm just... Uh, want to advance more and more in this is I've been studying with a doctor psychiatrist in uh, New York who uses mental imagery for healing and um, this has turned out to be the most exquisite exquisite tool of actually going into the body and um, using the imagination to effect healing so um, it, it can be used on a physical level with um, say if, I mean, if we're in the fertility discussion, say someone has cysts on the ovaries or um, uh, the lining in the uterus doesn't reach a certain uh, um, a thickness that, that is needed for conception or the fallopian tubes could be blocked. We go in through imagery and we actually allow the person to make the changes in the body that they need. And um, it is magnificent in how it works and it's very empowering for the patient um, to be able to do their own work. And um, it's not only used in with physical things, it's also used with cancer patients, used with um, uh, immunity um, problems to be able to go in there and boost, boost a system. It could be used with toothache, neck ache, it could be used with any type times of physical um, ailments, as well as um, emotional disturbances and problems like um, panic attacks and um, anxiety um, uh, that type of type of thing as well we, we actually 
take the the person into the experience what they're feeling and then we turn it around um, at the moment i'm working with a woman who um whose father has als and um, it's devastating because everyone knows what the result will be and the relationship hasn't always been beautiful so we've actually gone into her memories and into her experiences to be able to resolve them and sometimes the way we do this is we actually change what the outcome was so let's say for instance there was a car accident which ruined something what we would do is we'd actually go and change the event that the car accident didn't happen so what then happens is a new memory is created in the brain which gets stored in a box and while you do know that the event did really happen the negative charge has been taken out of the event which allows the body to to move into a place of healing so we it's a very very beautiful um method of going into um struggle or difficulty or pain again which is as you can see this is my main theme what i'm drawn to is is helping people in that place of just struggle of turning things about and saying yeah this is in my life and um i can't change that there's a beautiful quote which says um actually two beautiful quotes the first one is um we can't change um we can't change the fact that the wind is going to blow but we can change what we do with the the sails you know how we use the wind and um, i think that is a huge huge um almost responsibility that a person can take ownership of yeah this is in my life and i can't change it like it might be raining today but i have choices am i going to moan about it or am i going to take an umbrella right and um Frankel, right huh that's very victor Frankel. Very, very we have choices and um, and even he spoke about his uh, his being in a, a four years of confinement in the camps where there were no choices but how he still found choices. He knew at the end of every hard day, there was going to be a sunset. And so he could look forward to it every day. No one could take that away from him. Well, the right? I took when I read the book, um, the little piece that I took from it was something that I still use with my kids. And I say, you know, yes, you might, I don't know, mommy told you to take out the garbage. You don't want to take the garbage out. You feel grumpy about it. It's not going to change anything. The only place you have the power is to change your attitude. You're going to change your anyways. Exactly. And remember that Viktor Frankl, he was saying he was there anyways. He had no choice. He had to do the work. He had to be there. Right. But he still had that choice in his heart of how his attitude was going to be. Right. And that is so empowering because I think along the way, especially because the, the word, when we hear the word doctor, we're in the hands of doctors. It can be so daunting because we feel they're the professionals, they know everything, and, and now I must just sit back and be passive. And it's really not that. It actually can be quite empowering if we become an active participant. And another one of my favorite quotes is by um, James Allen, which says, circumstances don't make a man, they reveal him. And um, I found this to be incredibly powerful and, um, and it, it can help us. It certainly has helped me in my outlook on life. Like circumstances happen to all of us. No one here lives in uh, Mauritius on a desert island. We all have stuff that happens, but we can, we can be in control of well, what am I going to do about it now? And unfortunately, what people do is uh, they bury this stuff. And then it becomes unfinished business. And that just goes and sits away somewhere quietly in the body, unfortunately. And just like a tube of toothpaste that you might tighten close, if you squeeze it, it's going to burst somewhere. 
and that will be at the weakest link. And this is what happens with illness in the body. Oftentimes it is connected to, I will have people who say to me, oh, you know, um, let's just give an example. One woman came to see me with terrible migraines and reflexology is excellent. As you said, reflexology can be used for certain things. And yes, uh, when someone comes to be in the midst of a migraine, I can stop it. It's a very painful treatment on the, the tips of the toes. We work them, we hammer them out, we break down all those crystals, and people can even cry during the treatment. But I know they will leave without a migraine. Pain okay? and from emotional release. What are mm -hmm. the crying from pain of the treatment or crying from emotional release? From the actual pain of how sore it is in the toes. It's very, very painful. And it's a toe that wouldn't wouldn't hurt if you didn't have a migraine. Totally, totally. Wow. Totally. And um, things come up in the feet all the time. The actual feet tell a story. So once I see somebody's feet, you can't hide something from me because the feet are telling a story. Just like the eyes and the face tell a story. Like if, if I have a sad face, you know something's going on without me even talking. If I have a happy face, you know something's going on without me talking. This is really interesting. But, I did have a, um, I had, I was, as I said on the other show, I had two reflexology treatments in my, in my little history here with reflexology. But the first one was very powerful. And the reason I never went into the reason it was so powerful was because as she was rubbing my feet and doing this treatment, which was not painful at all, it was very pleasant. She told me my entire life story and, and what was going on and what I could do to change it. And she just, it was like, Jenny before a Navi or something. How did you? Right. <laughs> so it is sometimes like that because I can, through reflexologists, just on the physical level, I can feel if someone has a bladder infection before they have symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. I can feel when a headache is coming on. I can see when dehydration is going to hit. And that is the very strong power of reflexology. But how I've chosen to take it is a deeper level and this story will illustrate it. So this woman came to me and she came and um, she had a migraine and um, she came the following day. It was on a Sunday, you know, in Chutzlaritz where Sundays are Sundays. Um, so she had a migraine on a Sunday and she called me Monday morning and said, please, I have to come. I had a terrible migraine yesterday. So she came Monday morning and we just got rid of any residual what was left. And then the following Monday, she called again. So I said to her, I started seeing a pattern. And I said to her, you know, what does it feel like when you have this migraine? Describe the symptoms to me. So she said, it feels like something is around her head that is squeezing her so tight, like a hammer is also knocking on her head. And I said, well, what do you have to do when you've got the migraine? She says, nothing helps. I climb into bed, I close the, the, all the windows, the lights are off, and I put an ice pack on my head and take some medication, and eventually that helps me. So I said, look, and it's really interesting. So what happened yesterday that you got the migraine? I'm noticing that it's happening on Sundays. What goes on on a Sunday? She says, well, that's easy to tell. My beautiful mother-in-law comes to visit who takes over my house and makes me feel so small. So I said, that's interesting. So how's the migraine helping you? She said, well, at least I don't have to see her because I've got an excuse to be in my bedroom. So it was like, ta-da, right? Do you want to work on this relationship with your mother-in-law? So I said, well, what's your relationship like? And she said, it's like she comes in and squeezes the life out of me. The same words she was using to describe the migraine she was using to describe the mother-in-law. Oh, yeah. So then I was, could move to a different level of let's 
let's see, do you want to have these migraines or do you want to deal with the relationship? And as she started to deal with the relationship, and this is really the ideal person who I like to work with, someone who says, okay, I'm noticing something here. I'm prepared to do it. It's going to be hard because it's a lot easier to go and just have surgery than to actually deal with a difficult relationship, right? Just give me the medication and don't tell me to look at this mother-in-law. It's a lot easier to do that, but it's a lot harder to say, let me look at this relationship. Why is it in my life? Is there a message for me? What's it come to teach me? How can I be more X, Y, or Z? And when she started delving into the relationship and the relationship started to heal, that's when the migraine stopped because her address changed. Like I said in the beginning, when your address, illness comes or a symptom or ailment or disease comes to an address, and when the address can change, so then the illness is in the wrong place, it can leave. So as she worked on the relationship, so her body didn't need migraines anymore. Okay. And this I found, I have hundreds of stories like this of people that I've worked with. And for me, it's such a huge privilege to be on this journey with people. And I love it when people come to me and say to me, I've been to doctors, three or four different ones. No one can find out what's wrong with me. And, um, and so now I'm here for reflexology. Like oftentimes people, like they're lasting, they'll try as reflexology. But for me, it's like, yes, you've been to three doctors. I can't wait yes, to see book. This is really fascinating. It's fascinating. So for me, like big questions are, um, and then I started running workshops on, um, which I love to run, on how our bodies speak to us about our life. Like there's no coincidences. And this is not just my own um, understanding. They come from many books that I've read, like um, just some of the authors, so Deb Shapiro, Deepak Chopra, Cam Carolyn Mace, and Dr. Norman Sheely. There are many, many people out there who write about these things. That um, Especially Carolyn Mace, who says, there are no coincidences. Your shoulder is something. Your head is something. Your breast is something. Your colon is something else. And everything comes with a lesson, a learning, and an, a message. And if we're prepared to go into that, then we can glean wisdom as to how and what kind of changes we need to make in our lives. Like it's come, it's like, you know, in the times of the, the Nevi'im, we would go to the Kohen Gadol, or the Kohen Gadol, in the, the time of the temple, we'd go to the, the Kohen Gadol, and we'd say, look, I've got this in my life, what must I do? And he would look on the, the breastplate, and he'd say, ah, you've got this, it's because of X, Y, and Z, change this and that, and everything will be fine. And if people went and did that, then their lives were fine. But unfortunately today, we do not have a Kohen Gadol to go to. But our bodies are still um, getting messages about our lives and where we're supposed to be moving towards. And unfortunately, people sometimes only pay attention when they are in pain or in struggle or challenge or health issues. That's when they wake up and start paying attention to their lives. And I've also seen and had people who... The body whispers, that still, small, quiet... Oh, yes. Right? Oh, yes. And are we going to hear it? And also, once we've heard it, are we going to do something about it? And I've also worked with people who couldn't go to that place. That is just too painful, right? They couldn't do the journey, right? Yeah. And what I was saying is sometimes, sometimes we have something, a painful event that will happen to us, and we can't deal with it. So we just bury it, and it goes somewhere, right? And then one day it's going to start speaking. And actually Louise Hay, in, in, in her book on You Can Heal Your Life, this was exactly her story. Yeah, people was... can look her up, that she was sexually abused for about nine years by her stepfather until she ran away. And then started a new and beautiful life, learning all and teaching these beautiful ideas about healing, until one day then she got cancer of the cervix as a young woman. 
and she didn't understand, but then she understood exactly. She had buried her past life and moved on. And now exactly in the place of where she was offended and all this abuse took place, her body was crying out in now disease. And she took the journey of then going into to understand who this man was and through forgiveness, she, um, she came to healing. And um, so the specific parts of our body are no coincidences, but this is hard work to go to that place. It's so much easier to just go and, and I'm not saying we don't have surgery, it is easier to have surgery or to take a medication, do something, but it's very hard when we have to forgive someone. And this is something I'm also very passionate about in our lecture on this, on forgiveness and why it's so important and what the myths are around it. People have myths around forgiveness, which prevent them from doing the process. But the, the, um, the rule is, and the truth about forgiveness is that we don't do it for anybody else. We do it because we need to be well in our own lives and the more we carry this burden with us and this this um, resentment and this grudge and this pain and this hurt it continues to hurt us until it can manifest into something and uh, over the years i've seen a lot of this and it's really a privilege to to walk with people on their journey to come to that place of healing and i do i i see people as i said with the migraines and the bladder infections and and the for me that they're still rewarding but but on a um a, a, um this is on a much deeper level of can we really go to the source of your pain and um i'll help you through it and uh and let's see what's on the other side i want to walk backwards i have three questions so we're yeah one is that you do workshops are these local workshops or these online workshops um so hopefully soon they're going to be online because i'm working with a coach to um to start making them available online um and um it's they're fascinating on um how much we can learn about what our bodies are saying and um and they're they're truly 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 phenomenal so um, I love to teach these workshops and um, they're going to be online soon, but people can access them and look on my website. Um, I, have, I have some um, recorded version of my workshop on, online to, um, to, to um, purchase. And, um, but I am moving into the field, which is really exciting for me um, to be able to offer them online. Yeah. So you're gonna give us you're gonna give me um let us know right now how how we can but you're also gonna give all this to me it'll be in the show notes okay i think we're gonna have to put in a recommended reading list some of the books and the authors oh with pleasure <laughs> it's gonna be a long one <laughs> at least a few of them because some of those are just treasures that you mentioned yeah. um, so let quickly let us know what is what is the website that they can find you on right now Okay, it's www.dk, my initials, Deborah Kerr, wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, dot C-O, dot I-L. Okay, awesome. Now we're going to go back a little further. I think I thought of another question. Um, so you had mentioned that you worked on healing the relationship with this woman's mother and mom. Now, yes. from what I think you're saying is that, she, is that the woman worked on healing the relationship within herself did she actually yes. her mother-in-law did you do some sort of couples therapy or was it entirely so no i didn't do i mean i'm not a couples therapist but um what i did do and what i has become very clear to me is that 
we cannot change other people. We all think, oh, I'll get married, I'll change my husband into exactly what I want. It doesn't work that way. We cannot change people. We can only change ourselves. And through changing ourselves, the other person is reacting to someone different. And then we get a different result. So to give a beautiful example of this, I can give you one. I had a woman who came to see me who had um, insomnia, terrible, terrible insomnia. And, um, and she, she, she was complaining that in her marriage, her husband, who was uh, 15 years her senior, was always treated her like a baby. And she was a professional woman with a beautiful career. And um, he always treated her like a baby. So she said, if he would just stop treating me like a baby, everything would be different. But as we know, we can't change other people. So I worked with her around what can she change within herself. And um, for her, it was every time we have a fight, I'll end up crying and he treats me like a baby. And then she said, the next time there's a fight, I will not cry. I'll bring my businesswoman self to that argument and I will not cry. And she didn't. And what happened was he was then dealing with a different person. So as he was dealing with a different person, he didn't treat her like a baby. So in essence, we can change people by changing ourselves. But so the work is always on ourselves first. So the mother-in-law who would visit on Sunday, she didn't actually change anything in her behavior. No. But the address, as you said, the woman herself changed. And suddenly, as a domino effect, the mother exactly. changed because yeah. she's dealing with a different person. So. The mother-in-law was dealing with a different person. And so that which she had worked on on herself, the things that triggered her, the understanding. And, and as Louise Hay actually says, she went into the history of who this abusive man was. What kind of miskin background did he come from? And as she found out more about him, she just came to that place of um, Rahmanut, of understanding that his own background was so tragic and so terrible. He just didn't have the skills or the tools and so she was able to forgive him. And, as, and, and what she did was superhuman because, I mean, she suffered sexual abuse by him for nine years. And um, what she found, she never even contacted him. She did all this work on her own. But as she came to forgive him, and as she came to view him in a different light, so her body healed, right? And she became a different person because what she was before that was someone who had buried all the pain the anger, the resentment, how could he? I was just a little girl. And all these things are valid. But when you sit with that pain, that pain is going to change into something. And for this woman, the only way she could have a real excuse to get away from this horrible mother-in-law was if she really had a migraine. So then this huge question is, and this is part of my workshop, how's that working for you? Is that payoff worth it? Is it worth it for you to have the migraine and... Um, and, and suffer, or is it, or are you ready to deal with the relationship? Because if you can, then we can move forward. So that goes to what you were saying about what now instead of why me, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's like your tagline. Yeah. Stay tuned, yeah. guys. You're going to be seeing a magnet, a Zavarakur magnet. I hear something that's magnet worthy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to make it. Now I want to go back a minute to the vision therapy. Um, you were saying that you go into the body. It seems like both emotional or physical. 
and, right. you, and you heal something. So is this through like a guided meditation, like a hypnosis sort of situation? Are you doing what you envision? So it's, it's, it's not, but it's somewhere in between the two of those things. Firstly, the person is very awake and we're speaking together. I'm asking, what can you see? Let's say they're at the place of their um, ovaries and they see a cyst. What can you see? They describe to me what they see. And I say, what needs to be done? What would you like to do? And let's say they say, I want to take a chisel and cut out or knock off the, the cyst that is here. So I say, okay, go ahead. This is your imagination and you've got whatever you need. Go ahead and do it. And then they do it. And then we bring, hmm? they're speaking to me. Yes, they're speaking. It's not, they're very much sitting upright in a chair. It's not lying down and we do a certain kind of breathing beforehand, which um, slows down the thinking mind and um, uh, awakens the imagination. So you know that even in your imagination, you know that you could jump from cloud to cloud if that's what you wanted to do, right? There's nothing is impossible in an imagination. So the same with the body. We go inside and they see something which is an obstacle. We go and we fix it up and then um, or take it out or remove it and it could be that um, even i'm working with a young girl who's having loads of anger issues right so we go to the place of anger and we see she has a pipe in her that explodes like a volcano what would you like to do to this boiling lava that's happening inside of you and she says i want to take hot ice and freeze it so i say go ahead and as she does it then it helps her and then we remove what shouldn't be there say with it so this is the anger which is more um, emotional and with the say someone has found something a cyst or, or a you know a tumor or something that shouldn't be there or, or a vertebra that's in the wrong place or a disc that should you know shouldn't be there or should be more pushed in when we go inside our bodies we have the ability to do absolutely anything we can bring healing water we can bring creams we can bring magic wands we can bring um fire extinguishers we can do absolutely anything to make healing happen and the truth is, if how our brains work is that we have a place stored for real events that happened, but you also can remember a dream that happened, and they're both stored as a memory in your brain somewhere. So the brain doesn't differentiate between something that actually happened, something that we've dreamed, if that's a memory, or a new memory that we create through imagery. The brain just stores everything. So um, one patient that I had who, who came to see me, she... Um, she had a traumatic event where um, she thought she had a bladder infection. And throughout the day, she was getting more and more pain, terrible, terrible pain. And um, she went actually, her next door neighbor was a gynecologist and she spoke to the neighbor who said to her, you know what, just, um, just take this medication and um, hopefully it will clear up the bladder infection. And um, what happened that, that night, late at night, it was really Shabbat and um, her stomach had absolutely blown up she was in the most excruciating pain and um, all she wanted was a catheter to help her to um to just be put in and drain her bladder and her husband eventually took her to the immune um, and um, she said she was begging them for a catheter but they wouldn't do it and then they were doing all other tests to see what could be going on and then panic stricken they realized what really was going on was a burst cyst on her ovary and there was blood throughout her abdomen and then from what she thought was um was just a bladder infection now became a life and death situation where she would have to tell the doctors give them permission if they have to do hysterectomy or whatever you know do whatever they have to do to save her life and now she was kissing her husband goodbye and being rushed into surgery 
So that was her situation. When she came out of the situation, they managed to contain everything and heal her and everything was fine and save her life. But she was in a state of panic. Then she started having panic attacks afterwards. So she came to me and what we did with the imagery was... Well, the doctor said to her, this could lead to absolutely anything. That um, we need just your um, your written permission no, that I'm should anything go wrong in the surgery, we'll be we'll have permission to do it. So I'm saying during the surgery, I just want to yes. know: did they did they remove her uterus? No, no, they didn't. Okay, so they she, didn't. She was air quotes fine, in other words, but she was she was fine, but traumatized. So she brought this to me and um, what we did is I did this beautiful imagery with her. So took her through the whole day and seeing what she saw and feeling what she felt then going into her, uh, um, going into the Mion and asked the doctor for the catheter. And I said, now see the doctor bringing the catheter, putting the catheter in and releasing all that fluid. Feel what that feels like in your body to know that what you needed, you've gotten now and this absolute relief and um, everything is well and then I did what I need to do to take her to the end of the procedure and um, she opened her eyes and the first thing she said to me she said I know it didn't happen that way but at least now I feel like I had some control so something shifts and it was so magnificent because then the panic attacks went down because the electricity was taken out of the experience it was absolutely magnificent. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, my brain understands when we're talking about an emotional situation, how this would work, okay? And I know that it works with physical situations because, thank God, I have some, had some experience. I've read some of the more similar books to what you mentioned. I know this works, but I don't understand, and I don't know if there's a way that we can understand in Olam Hazet, how this? How does this work physically? If you're saying a person had a growth, and they envisioned, the, you know, chiseling away of the growth, and and the growth healed, do you have any explanation of why that works? Um, I think that our brains are hugely powerful, and a lot of what we um, we have is um, some of the stuff is created by ourselves. And um, Carolyn Mace, when she speaks in her books, she says that. Um, it can be born out of um, an emotional, a physical, or a spiritual um, mishap that took place in our lives that we buried, and now it has turned into a something, right? So it is, and we, we don't go down the, the route of, why did I you know, make this happen? We don't go that way. It has happened now. What are we going to do about it? Okay? But it is often that these things happen um, and, and she's actually quite bold in her book. She said 100% of the time, there are no such things as coincidence, okay? And, um, and, and now that, that this has happened, what can I do? So just like the brain has now made this happen. So with this woman, the brain has now started as a result of the trauma having panic attacks. As because she is an A-type personality, always likes to be in control. And what happened to her was that her control was taken away from her. And then this life-threatening situation. As soon as she felt she had a bit of control, even although it wasn't true, we created a new memory, which went to sit now with all her other memories, but it was a real new memory, which then her brain could see as, okay, you did have some control. We don't need to panic so much. 
and I understand exactly what happens, but just from what I'm seeing, it's very beautiful to, to what can take place. I have a personal question on that. Uh, it's like every word you say makes me think of five more questions. This is amazing. <laughs> That's why I tell you I will be studying forever because there is almost so much still to learn. It's amazing. So I know someone with panic attacks. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because it's a person who is a person who generally had a lot of control over their life. And as you said, a lot of the control was taken away. And now this person is suffering from panic attacks. Mm -hmm. So if this is not a person who can actually come to you, is there something that I could do to help that person in any situation? I'm just using panic attacks um, as mm -hmm. an example. But in any situation that someone might be in, are there any little take-home pieces? So there are some, um, some things that people can try because we have different places in our brain. When you're in a place of panic attack, you're in the place of um, fight or flight and your survival is being... Um, uh, question. You're not in the place of, and when you're in that situation, you can't go and bake a cake or do something cognitive because that's a different part of the brain. So what, what does help to move someone out of that place is to do things which are cognitive. So the, the thing would be to immediately when you start feeling like that, look around you. And I don't have enough training on this. I have got a course that I'm starting in February on, um, on dealing and learning um, more tools about this. I'm really giving a um, very baseline um, um, some tools to help. It's going to that cognitive place of looking around and noticing colors. So straight away, name 10 colors, name 10 shapes, name um, uh, um, 10 textures that you can see. And these are sort of things that can move you to a place of cognition. And also another thing is to count out of sequence. So count, 2, 15, 28, 36, 94, 14. When you're doing that, you have to be thinking, what's my next number? And that can help. But um, obviously, it, it, it depends how severe are the panic attacks, what's brought them on, and there's huge things before that. These are just little, little tools that I've used to help people. Like, for instance, um, one woman who came to me who is claustrophobic, and she said to me, you know, um, she will never ever go in a, an, an elevator because she's just too scared. She takes the steps and she came to me panicking. She's been invited to a bar mitzvah at the top of the Azraeli building and she cannot climb all the steps. So what should she do? And I gave her these tools, okay? And she went into the elevator and did these things with holding her husband's hand. And the next thing she knew, the doors had opened and it was a huge, huge blessing for her. Okay, so these tools I'm telling you are for superficial panic. I don't know the circumstances of this person you're speaking about, and it's not just a quick fix, but there are tools that can help somebody. So that's specifically for a panic attack, right? Where the person, like the person has described to me, feeling like they're going into like that tunnel vision type of thing. Um, but I was more thinking of what you said with the, like the vision therapy. So if I, let's say I'm um, in labor, Okay, and mm -hmm. I can I relax and sit by myself and think of you know my uterus opening and all the things that they say. Absolutely, there's actually a beautiful um uh, um path of this called hypnobirthing. I don't know if you know anything about it. Yeah. It's magnificent, and unfortunately, I had my children before I even knew about this. 
but um, I always tease my husband and say, it's, it's almost worth it to go and have another baby just to see that I could be able to do it, <laughs> but didn't make that decision. Um, but I think it is magnificent because the power of the brain is magnificent. It, it's just magnificent. And um, we can program ourselves to do certain things. At the moment, I'm working with a woman who is experiencing um, ice cold feet and her feet are warm, okay? So it is connected, um, I'm working with her with imagery, it is connected to something very personal of where she feels cold feet, right? Not just physical cold feet, but she's scared to do something. There's been a breakdown in a relationship and she's too scared to repair for she's scared of rejection or whatever she's scared of. And I'm working with her through imagery to... Firstly, from the emotional side of dealing with the relationship, what the relationship means, and also about finding the thermostat that now I've taken her into her body and find the place that controls temperature. Right. Find the place why the blood isn't reaching into your feet. Let's see what it is. And for her, there was a gate at her ankles. Okay. What would you like to do with that gate now? I'm going to open it. Okay. This is your imagination. You can do what you need to do. What does your, what do your feet need for the blood to flow there to keep you warm? So then she tells me, say, okay, go and do that. Okay. So as she's doing those things, and then we go up to the thermostat in her brain, which was sitting too, too low at 24 degrees. I said, well, what number would be good for you? She said 26. So I said, okay, would you like to change that? And then she visualizes herself doing these things. And then the imagery isn't just a once-off thing. And the beautiful thing about imagery is you can have a session with someone and it can be done over um, Skype or, um, you know, it can be done. It doesn't have to be someone who's sitting with me. I have people that I work with around the world, which is very beautiful. But the most beautiful part about the imagery is then it is like a script, prescription. Take this and do it every morning and every evening by yourself. There's actually three things that we, um, we go through in the, um, in the actual imagery. The first is the crisis. Then we take them to the solution. And then we invite them into the healing, right? The healing of it. And um, so, so we, I, I teach people through the imagery that I do of how to do it for themselves. Because I don't want people to be just reliant on me. There's something that they can learn to heal themselves. And in this way, we're making them active participants in their journey. Can you give us a brief walkthrough through those three steps? Um, so, so basically it is, um, say that this patient that I worked with, with the catheter, find the crisis. So we go to the crisis. The crisis is this bladder, right? So she, now she's in the crisis plan. What do you need to fix it? She needed a catheter. We gave her the catheter, right? Then she was healed, okay? Then go to a place where you connect to a place of healing and now let that circulate through your body so that's those are the steps even though she didn't really need a catheter because really it was no. but she thought no. she needed a catheter and that was enough to help her yeah and i could have gone a different route with her i could have gone the route with her that that um she she knew there was a cyst and then she was involved with the doctors and what did she need to be feel more involved but what she was really desperate for was that catheter and then it was like oh, i don't even know myself now what do i know what is certain for me so i chose to go that route there's not just one way to go there are different ways and different things one could use to to help get the person to that place 
So going back to the physical versus emotional piece of it, it sounds like you're saying that maybe um, that cells that maybe choose to be cancer cells or cysts or whatever it is, maybe they're not choosing it randomly as we've come to think of, oh, it's physical, there's nothing to do about it. But you're saying maybe the body, the brain, something is, is sending that cell and saying, go build cancer on you know, the cervix because this somehow protects, this is good for us, this offers protection in some way. Like, let's go do a migraine so that we can get away from the evil mother-in-law. So you're saying that right. change the emotions. That, it's a protection. That's just one tool of how the body protects us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another question. Uh, yeah. Again, I know this stuff works. I, I understand that it works. Some of the people that you've spoken about, like, for example, Deepak Chopra, right? You mentioned him. So I have, I had at least one of his books, a friend had lent it. And she said, I want you to throw the book away because I've realized that it's just not Kadosh. It's not, it's, it's not the Torah way. It's, and um, I didn't throw it away. I just put it away <laughs> um, because I saw a lot, of, a lot of the things that he was saying that all of these different people are saying in the world really matches in, maybe not every word, but there's so much that matches into Torah. It matches into Amrasura, like you mentioned with the Kohen Gadol and the Naveen, feels like there are things that we've lost that as we're trying to move towards the, the time of Geula, maybe Hashem is sending it back to us through these different channels. So since you're mentioning all these different things, is that is that correct? Or do you have, I'm sure maybe, maybe you've even thought about this more deeply. How do you reconcile the quote-unquote Goyesha aspect of some of these things with your Torah lifestyle? So um, initially, I came to all of this understanding from from the non-Jewish um, works out there, but there is so much for Rav Yitzchak Ginsburg and um, uh, the Wings of the Soul. And there are so many books out there that are in our own tradition that are speaking these exact same things, and um, I didn't come to it through you know, these understandings through these teachings, but I have since read these works and our religion is incredibly deep. The Svirot and all sorts of things that we can connect to for our own healing. So, um, you know, even even Hashem says he puts for us before us life and death, um, good and evil and choose life. Hashem wants us to make that choice. He wants us to make the choice to do the best that we can with what's come our way. And he's even given doctors the, um, it, it says, I don't know the exact uh, quote, but um, you will surely heal. Hashem has given us the ability to heal. We should, we should do it. You know, we should go ahead and do these things. And I also feel that sometimes just because it's coming from someone who's not Jewish doesn't mean there isn't wisdom in it. Um, there is a lot of wisdom out there and a lot of beautiful healing um, uh, in the world. And, and if one is deeply connected and rooted in their own um, um, beliefs and, and yahadut, then these things just come to enhance. If anything I have learned over the years that did not feel kosher or something for me, I've left that behind. And I can actually give you an example of that. Many years ago, I wanted to learn Reiki. And um, I wanted to learn how to actually use my hands to help someone heal. So I went to do a course 
And the minute I walked in, there were Buddhas everywhere. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is a bit of a Vodazora, but I'm going to learn it anyway. And um, so I started learning it. And then it was even worse. I mean, they were angels and things, symbols you had to draw on your hands. And it was like, so not kosher. And um, I decided that I'm going to take from this that which I could use. And then I was introduced through one of my patients to a, a Dayan on the Manchester Beth Din, who's a Reiki master. And I was like, what? How is that even possible? Oh, my gosh. So I tracked him down. I had a long conversation with him. And I didn't even know how he had moved to each different level because you've got to go through these processes, which are not very kosher. And, um, and he said to me, let me tell you one thing. Hashem created energy in the first six days of creation. There will never be anything new created. It's up to us to tap into that energy. And he said to me, that's what Reiki is. So when I use my hands and I use my hands with healing, I use my hands with reflexology. It's like the message that I put out to Hashem is use me. Let me just be your vehicle. Use my hands to put healing into this person, or into my mouth. Give me the right words to say what this person needs to do for healing. Um, but on the, other, on the other hand, I do feel there's a lot of wisdom in the world that we can um, use for healing as well. It's not just in, um, in the Jewish tradition. And actually, it's quite hidden in the Jewish tradition. It's not like, you know, what we traditionally know. But there is a lot in Kabbalah and um, healing and the, the book, the Tomer Deborah. And there's a lot of books that go into what are each body part? What are they about? What are we meant to learn from these things? And um, there's a lot of wisdom within our own religion as well. But I've never been one to shut out and say, I will only read Torah sources. Um, 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 I, I've never been one to do that. I've, I've broadened my mind and kept, kept what works and what, what doesn't feel um, safe and uh, um, right spiritually, I've left, left on the side. I think that a person has to know themselves also and say yes. there's there's a mixture here a little bit there's something yeah. using kadosh or some things that don't so there's certain people who can delve out into the world and sort of filter it like you said i'm going to take certain parts and i'm going to leave or the diane is able to right maybe i did have yeah i did have once a woman came to me who was um, suffering from um, secondary infertility and a religious woman and she came to me one day and she said, I'm so excited. Like for years, she was trying to have a third child. And in the environment that she lived in, you know, um, everyone around her was onto number five and six. And so, and she was felt so, um, uh, um, she didn't feel whole because she only had two children. And, um, and actually this in the end was her message. What is wholeness? If she was prepared to go there. But she came to me one day with this, ground up powder that she was given of ruby you know the stone ruby she was given some ground up powder she paid an absolute fortune for it and she was told by some mystic that this is what she needs to take and then she will have a baby and i said to her listen i think it's very interesting and wonderful that you've come across this but just be careful of avodazora because it is not this ruby dust that is going to make you pregnant okay there's a journey here and the fact is that how hard is it for hashem to bring a sperm and an egg together that is really easy. You could split the sea, you can surely do this. We've got to be very careful not to um, go into dangerous waters of then 
it becomes avodazora, and that that I'm I'm very careful of when I work with people. So she was given this by some religious Kabbalist, yes. you know, rabbi yes. person. I feel like there is um, there is so much healing. You were saying, you know, even in Torah, as you're speaking, I just thought of Tzaras, right? Tzaras was was a physical ailment for speaking. Yes, yeah. we don't get that today. <laughs> we don't get zapped when we do something wrong. But when we do tshuva, this physical ailment went away. So there, you right away see in the in the basic parsha that we don't even think about the connection between what we think, what we feel, what we say spiritually, and the you know what what seems to be physical. Yeah. And actually, doing tshuva, the actual word tshuva is return. But what are we returning to? We're returning to that which is whole, that which is what we, the essence of who we really are. And when you can come back to that place, then all the stuff that we've been dealing with can fall apart and fall aside and we can let go of it. And we've returned back to the essence of what we were created to, to do and be and become in this lifetime. Wow, this is absolutely amazing. I wish we could yeah. talk all day. <laughs> I, <wish we> <laughs> I want to just add one, one last thing that I, that I do as well that I haven't even mentioned is um, I teach also Torah classes on um, specific, not that I'm a Talmidah Chachama at all, um, I've had no yeshiva training, but um, for me, it is all about meaning and connection. So I teach classes on um, Parsha, on um, uh, how's, you know, the Parsha um, pertaining to what meaning can I glean from the Parsha in my own life, like, um, and um, the the months of the year, each different theme, and what are we meant to learn from that so it's like a life lesson journey through parasha and through um the months of the year like each month has a different theme and how is that relevant to my life and how can i i build on myself so that each year when we come to the same chag again we're hopefully not the same person that we were the last time we experienced it so that is also something else that I, i'm passionate about teaching oh my goodness this is so cool you are a very cool person <laughs> so are these partial classes or these Torah classes uh, again a physical class are they an online class I teach at Matan in Ranana and um, yeah I do have a lot of them recorded hopefully like as I said I'm moving forward with a coach then I'm going to have these things available for download some of them are already on my website for download and um, like each month and um, the different uh, um, lectures on, on, on what, what we can do, but there, watch a space and I'm going to be adding more stuff soon. Well, yeah. by the time this airs, hopefully maybe that'll give you some incentives to get even more out there. I'll let you know when I figure yeah. out exactly when the air date will be, but is that right. the same address that you gave us? Was that yeah, it will be in the same place. Okay, great. So all those see me in the show notes, let's just go over. People can see you physically in Renana, you said? Yes, and I also do see people in Jerusalem once a week. Okay, so if you're living or visiting Renana or Yerushalayim, um, you can look up Devora. Go over your contact information, please, and your website. And it will be in the show notes, but let's just go over it real quick. Okay, so the web address is www.dk, my initials, Devora Kerr, wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S, dot C-O dot I-L. And you can contact me through there. My mobile number is 054-349-5545. Uh, 
and you can contact me through there. And for people who can't drive or come the journey, I do, I work with people overseas, which has really been unbelievable. I think modern technology, even like we're having this interview, we're not sitting one-on-one -on -one opposite each other. And, um, and it doesn't detract from the, um, the intimacy or the feeling of being present. That, um, that it is very beautiful that I feel that there are people who, who have found me through my website and um, I'm working with, and it is wonderful to be able to, you know, know that Milan or California doesn't, uh, doesn't detract or, or prohibit someone from, sometimes the time zone does uh, prohibit, but uh, we always find a way to, to work around that. Right, sure. So now, before we go, we're going to give stuff away because that is so fun. So first of all, Dvora, if somebody books a session with you, oh, even if first of all, if anybody books a session with you, what do they get for mentioning Gitwa Mamas? Ah, so I'm happy to just offer ten percent for anyone who will just mention that they saw this interview and uh, with with absolute pleasure. Okay, that's amazing, and that's for reflexology, logotherapy, vision therapy, Reiki. Yeah. That imagery of, yeah all of your things whatever they want to do if they book a session mention Google mamas and you get 10 percent off right and now that, um were you going to be giving something away to one lucky participant Somebody? i'm happy to give give one treatment away that you can choose they can choose what it is just put my name out there and if someone chooses it with pleasure and that's physical or online? Does it matter? Yeah, doesn't matter. Oh, so anyone can apply. So obviously, if it's online, it won't be reflexology. <laughs> that I haven't worked out how to do online. So I have my little Gitlula Mama's uh, magic raffle mug here. And right. the way you are eligible to win something is just by becoming a member of the Gitlula Mama's Club on Facebook. All members are entered for raffles. And Devora Binham has just won a free session. I am so jealous. <laughs> I actually know her, so that's really exciting. Right, Devora and Devora. This is great. Mm -hmm. oh, Yay! Okay, I'm actually seriously jealous. Okay, this is so cool. Um, okay, so now I'm giving away two Gitula Mama's magnets. So from the Tamara May show. Tamara's a physical therapist. I believe it was show number two. She, um, one of the things that she said that was really important was for Kegeling, that all women, even teenage girls, we should be Kegeling. She taught us how to do the Kegel in the correct way. It turns out I was doing it wrong. So it says, whatever you do, just Kegel. And the winner of that, oh, that's so funny. Tamara May cannot be the winner of the Tamara May magnet because I already sent her a magnet. We're going to have to pick someone else. All right, Beth Shapiro. Woo! Okay, Beth and I are good friends. And that's actually, I think it's going to make her laugh. I think she's going to like her, uh, her, her remembering to Kegel magnet. And here's uh -huh. the magnet that says, watch me bring the Geula. And that is there to remind you, it's like an affirmation that everything you are doing, everything we're doing right now is one step forward in bringing the Geula. Each day, we don't know when it's coming. The Torah is just full, and you'll confirm this 
from your Torah classes. The Torah is never about following the masses. It's always about one person doing one thing. Usually no one even knew they were doing it other than Hashem. And that changed all of world history. It changed all of Am Yisrael's history. So how do you know if changing your baby's diaper or shopping for milk in the grocery store? Maybe that's the thing that brings the Geula because it's everything that we're doing. So watch me bring the Geula. Um, and that is going to Judy Sloan Cohen. Okay, Judy was my home birth midwife. So she definitely brought the Geula. And <laughs> I hope she appreciates that because she brought the Gula in my life in so many women's lives. Well done, Judy and Beth. So now before we go, we're almost out of time. I want to ask, um, I think I know what- uh, I actually also have a Facebook page if, um, if people want to look for that. It's called DK Wellbeing, W-E-L-L-B-E-I-N-G. So if people want to look at that and join with pleasure. Yeah, this is amazing. I'm going to join. This is really good. So I think I know what your quote might be. But if you were standing like at the women's section um, at Har Sinai and you had all the women of Am Yisrael, you know, who would ever be born in front of you, and you could say one thing to them, what would that be? Just breathe for a moment. And the first thing that pops into your head. Mm. So I think it would be, I think I would say, don't run from challenge, embrace it. Like it's here to, it's here to teach you about yourself. It's here to give you a gift. Don't run from challenge, embrace it. It's yeah. here to give you a gift. Yeah. I'm going to have to like meditate on that. It is so beautiful. It's so strong. Yeah. All right. Well, we are out of time. I'm trying to think if we forgot anything. No, I think we're good. If you're listening to this show, if you're watching this show and you enjoyed it and you think it could help someone, I'd like to ask you to please share this with somebody who you think it could help because our mission here is just to unite all the women of Amistral, all of this amazing wisdom, this amazing experience and life experiences so that we don't have to each be living on our own to create this global village of Nisha Yisrael. So please share it with someone and join the Geula Mamas Club on Facebook because then we can take what we've learned today and have a discussion about it. Are there questions? Um, help each other through, through these things. Um, and the only way we can join that is if we all actually join together. So thank you and remember that I love you and have a great day. Goodbye, everyone.